This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. McDavid centers one timer score. Oscar Clefbaum and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside and it is to the end zone. Touchdown Eskimos. Darrell Walker. With the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. It is seven minutes after six in the p.m. It is 6.30, Chad, the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Eskimos and your Edmonton Oilers. My name is Reed Wilkins. We have a game coming up on Friday night, Eskimos and Argos. The countdown to kickoff will be at 5.30. The game will start at 7. In a few minutes here, we'll be joined by Eskimos assistant head coach and defensive coordinator Mike Benavides. Uh, some young guys on the Eskimos defense trying to make a mark, really having to learn on the fly. I think they have two or three players getting more play time than uh, would have been expected or hoped this early in their careers. So Mike will let us know what is going on there. Of course, it is Croatia and France in the World Cup final. That'll be on Sunday. There's going to be a third-place game on Saturday. By the way, are third-place games one of the worst things in all of sports? They, they, they might be. Uh, Craig Forrest is going to be on the show between 6.30 and 7. Love talking to Craig, former uh, Canadian goalkeeper. I don't know, Kellen, you're not old enough to remember this. Mm-hmm. 1994? Are you old enough to oh, remember yeah. 1994? Yep. Uh, Canada and mm-hmm. Brazil played to a 1-1 draw at Commonwealth Stadium. Canada had been uh, eliminated from World Cup qualifying. I think right. they made it, I think, by Australia mm-hmm. right near the end. And Brazil was tuning up for the World Cup in the United States. And at Commonwealth Stadium, Canada played a dramatic 1-1 draw with Brazil. I remember and, watching a game on TV. And yeah. Brazil went on to win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So uh, Craig was the goalkeeper in that game. So I'll probably ask him about that as well. Mm-hmm. Sean has texted the show. And I, I always love it when people text the show right at the start. Because they've been sitting on that text. And yeah. they want to share it. It's just and they, burning they, they, they want to they want to they want to bring that to me and the other thirteen listeners of the show. Absolutely. Sean says so. Reed England has lost, but what is really on the minds of English fans everywhere is when does the hooligan hoedown begin? The fun-filled yet violently destructive stroll through Hyde Park, the storming of the tower, and the ever-popular urinating on Nelson at Trafalgar. Ah, to be in England in the summertime. That is a text to 630-630 from Sean. Sounds like a clockwork orange. I, it, it does sound like maybe some deleted things from uh, Stanley, some deleted scenes from Stanley Kubrick's classic, A Clockwork Orange. Uh, incredibly violent film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Sean has ever been in England in the summertime. I don't know if he has experienced English soccer hooliganism firsthand. It sounds like he might. 
might have. Sounds like Sean may be an English soccer hooligan. I don't know. But if he is, he uh, he made it back to Alberta. Or maybe he's a transplanted Englishman. Do we have English soccer hooligans in Alberta? Well, probably. Oh, probably. They're yeah. probably just a little lower key and, you know, they can't, they don't have quite the moral support on the numbers mm-hmm. that they would have in England. Uh, that, you know what? A lot of exciting games in the World Cup. Croatia, the comeback today, and uh, they get the goal in the second half of extra time to win 2-1. France, I, and I'll ask Craig Forrest about this, I would, in my mind, France would be pretty distinct favorites for the championship match on Sunday. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Your Edmonton Eskimos getting ready for the Argos on Friday night. Defensive coordinator Mike Benavides joins us on the show now. Mike, thanks for making time for us. Welcome back. How are you doing? Outstanding, Reed. Thanks for having me on again. Great to be with you. Well, it's always good to talk to you, and you guys are coming off uh, that tough loss against Toronto. You know, from a defense perspective, Mike, that's going to be maybe a tough one to evaluate because you, you, you shut them out for about three quarters of the game, um, but a couple drives early and I guess a couple drives late kind of did you in, eh? Yeah, sure did. And when you look at it, uh, you know, we spotted them points early on and we weren't able to respond after the turnover. And then, you know, I was proud of the kids. They played their tails off and, you know, kept the points scored down to 12 for majority of the game. But then in the last couple of drives and at the end of in the last 10 minutes of the game, we gave them a score with three minutes left and that was tough to do and then get the ball back. But as you said, at the end of the day, it's about winning. And, uh, you know, we gave up 20 points. We needed to win that game defensively. Um, and at the end of the day, we didn't. But there was a tremendous learning curve for the guys on the field. And uh, there's good and bad with every tape whether you win or lose and we'll learn from that and make sure we build on that but uh, certainly we needed to get that done and find a way to get it done and we did and at the end of the game it's about winning well you, you know you, you used a couple of phrases there you, you, you use the word kids and you use the word learning curve and, and maybe that's the theme especially for the Eskimos defense and I know you got you know Sherritt and Grimes and a couple of other guys that have been there a while um, but a combination of just new faces coming in and injuries uh, you know means you have some guys who are inexperienced and who are, are learning on the fly uh, as, as starters you know as a, as a coach uh, you know take us through what's that like because like you said it's all about winning um, but you got to work yeah. with these guys guys and, and probably be as patient as you can too. Well, well, for sure. Let me clarify something first. I call them kids because I'm an old man. When you're a 50-year-old looking at these okay. guys, you're all your kids, right? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'll clarify by that first. But at the end of the day, you're right. There's some young guys there learning under fire and, and going through that experience. But, you know, one of the biggest things for, for me and for us is just growing and getting better all the time, and they are and we are. And I think the biggest pleasure for me or challenge and really what I enjoy is at the end of the day teaching the game of football to these young men. So um, they're getting better all the time. They're working their tails off. Like you said, some of those older veterans that have been around, like a J.C. Sherrod or Aaron Grimes, is really taking those guys under the wing and really teaching them the game of football, the CFL game, and how to be a pro, period, because a couple of these young men are straight out of, out of uh, college. Um, but it's, it's a, a bit of a learning curve both ways. I have to learn who they are, how they learn, what they're best that and best suited at and they're learning the game as it goes along so for me I really enjoy it I, I think there uh, there's there's huge potential in these men they're playing good football well we got to play better which we will and we went through something similar last year Reed and it was a pleasure to see some younger guys grow I think we're going to benefit by this later on when we get some of the other guys veterans back from injury and these men are growing as they're playing you only get better by playing the game you only get better at doing anything in life if you do it through repetition. So that's what they're doing, and uh, I'm proud to see what they're doing on film and, and on the field. And uh, like I said, it's um, they're doing a heck of a job when you consider some of the things they're dealing with. 
I, I got a couple names from the past here for you, Mike. Uh, Jed Roberts, who came on my show a couple of days ago, and, and Danny Bass. And, and Jed said he learned so much from Danny. And he, and he said Danny was, all, like, obsessive when it came to watching film. Like, he'd stay up yeah. till, like, midnight and fall asleep watching yeah. film. And, and probably something you got to emphasize with uh, with some of the younger guys, too, right, that they, they can't – they can never spend too much time looking for those details in the film room. No, and the beautiful thing, and even when I got here a couple of years ago, the culture here with the Eskimos is a championship culture, and the men in the room are here early. They're only required to be here at 9, but gee, many Christmas, you see guys in the building at 6, 6.30. They're doing their physical work. They're doing their rehab work, but they're also watching film and learning. And when the players walk in the room and they take charge, a guy like Grimes and a guy like J.C. Sherrod, those kind of guys, and Amondo Sewell, all team captains, obviously, they're in there leading uh, the meeting room where they're watching tape on their own. They're discussing certain things. They're teaching them certain keys and tendencies and things like that. So, you know, they're just learning by leaps and bounds. I mean, some of these men, as I said, hadn't seen our CFL game until they got to training camp a month and uh, five or six weeks ago. So they're getting better all the time, and they have to. At the end of the day, as I tell them, this is not, you're no longer on scholarship. This is professional football. We get paid to win. Um, you know, mistakes are going to occur, but you can't do the same mistake again. And uh, I got to do, it falls on me too. I got to do a great job of finding a way to reach them and get them to do what's required. But um, the veteran leadership in this room, in this building, and the culture culture here with the Eskimos is phenomenal. As you mentioned, a couple of names from the past in terms of Jed and, and uh, Danny Bass. Those guys are champions, and these men, too, will become champions as they learn. I, I want to ask you about a couple of guys specifically, and, and, and you know, along that theme of getting thrust in there and learning on the fly a little bit, you, know, you have had Money Hunter there in the defensive backfield, and uh, you know, I thought, I hope I'm not being too hard on the kid. You know, fair to say, tough night against Hamilton, um, but I, I think there's some progress there. Can you tell me what what you see, you know, over from him coming along the last two or three weeks? Yeah, I think when you look at a guy like Money Hunter, I mean, uh, they've tried to go after him, and he's a very talented individual. He's one of the, he's long, he's athletic, and he's making plays. I mean, I think everybody remembers at the end of the BC game in the first half, they tried him vertically to try and get a touchdown, and he just showed a tremendous athleticism making that interception at the highest point. So he's got a tremendous amount of talent. He's growing and getting better all the time. I mean, we all took our turns in the Hamilton game, so it's no, uh, no, uh, it's definitely not his fault, but as it goes along, I think he's got a tremendous future. The thing we do with our players is we want them to understand conceptually so they'll play all kinds of different positions on the field so that'll help their growth and development. And uh, Money's got a ton of talent. He's physical. And I just love his energy. I mean, you just see that, you know, he comes from a professional uh, sport background and he knows how important it is. But he also always has a smile on his face, and it's a, it's a true pleasure to be around him every day. He's, uh, he's got a bright, bright future. Uh, I got to ask about Mark Mackey too, and I know I was talking to Dave Campbell and Morley Scott earlier today, and they said, "Yeah, like that, you got to ask uh, Benavides about this Mackey kid because he—I mean, he's had quite a journey. I mean, some ups and downs, and, and trying to make the roster, and then he shoots right in there for his first uh, first game on the on the on the weekend, and he co- he came up with a pretty big sack. I mean, that's it, it, there are a lot of good perseverance stories in in the Canadian Football League. He's got to be right up there." 
Oh, he certainly is. Here's a kid that played at, at uh, McMaster and was not selected to go to the to the uh, pri- the premier combine in Toronto. He went to the one of the regionals, was spotted there. You know, was elevated to the regional and voted in. Uh, here's a guy that got drafted later on in the deal. He came to our camp last year. Really learned from some of the great veterans we had in the defensive line room. Went back to school, played at school, came back this year, had an outstanding camp. I mean, I stat or we stat every play in camp, and he was one of the highest point getters. But just the way it is, the talent and the size we have inside, there wasn't a place for him, you know. And uh, as the injuries started to occur and things started to change, we always had a high value or really high opinion of, of uh, Mr. Mackey. And he came in, and here's his first pro game. He comes in on the plane that week, comes in on Sunday. He practices during the week, goes to Toronto to play his first professional uh, regular season game in front of his family and friends in Toronto. And there he is. He gets a huge sack. And if you saw that on the television broadcast, or if you didn't, I'll tell you, the sideline went nuts. Just so happy for the kid. I mean, the group just really likes Mackey, and he's got his own name. He's got a little nickname, and uh, he's he's one of those good stories because you hear about that all the time. I keep telling people. Ask Mondo Sewell. Mondo Sewell came to camp, his first camp, got cut, sent home, played arena football, and then called back later, and here he is, a parental all-star. I mean, there's so many examples of that, and uh, certainly Mr. Mackey had a good game last week, and now we hope he could do it again. Mike, i got to ask you about one more guy, and I'm going to ask you about a member of the uh, the, the opposing team. And, uh, you know, i got to preface this. I always you know, got to say I'm not asking you to open up the defensive playbook, but uh, you're, you're going to see James Franklin again, who you, you, you yeah. knew – as a, as a member of the Eskimos for the last couple of years and, and now coaching against him. Can you just kind of give what, what you see from James, uh, even how you, you saw him develop, uh, uh, you know, just throughout even Saturday's game? I mean, you know, quarterbacks always say the old Peyton Manning line, you're learning something every snap. What, what is it about James that if fans are going Friday, um, you know, you got, you got to try to stop or some things you can do to make him uncomfortable? Yeah, I just I just think that, you know, James is is a very calm individual. He's a very pleasant guy. I don't think he gets too high or too low. He's got a nice arm. He's athletic. I think he thinks sees things well. The offense there is very similar to the offense that coach Moss runs here. So, you know, I think there was there was a good progression in what he was doing here and there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think the players did a really good job on the fielding handling him in terms of, you know, uh, we got some critical stops, we got some short yardage stops. You know, we we got some hits on him. We got an interception. We got a sack. So I think there was a point in time in the game that you were talking about those three quarters that we did uh, a good job against them. I think the players did a good job to, you know, I don't want to use the word rattle, but make enough plays to make him slightly uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, and obviously he grew throughout the game, had a couple of big throws. Uh, it's not like he lit us up in uh, throwing the ball in three big plays. But I think what he's learned is like anybody, anybody else, repetition is going to make him more comfortable. Um, but we're going to have to do a little bit more of what we did last week and keep them off balance the best we can. Sometimes you drop nine, sometimes you rush eight, whatever it takes. Uh, but, you know, James is a very talented guy, and he's pretty calm, and he's been in this offense for a long time. So I think he has a good grasp of what it is Coach Trestman uh, and the coaches there want him to do. Well, Mike, thanks for that insight, and thanks for uh, taking us through you know, some of the things you're going through with the defense. I know guys are certainly working hard. Everybody's looking forward here to the rematch against the Argos. All the best with the game, and uh, I'll tell you now, enjoy the bye week after that. I know you're not thinking about it yet, but uh, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Oh, thank you very much, Reed. Anytime, and uh, we look forward to having a great night in front of our fans. So thanks for having me. 
Good stuff. Friday night, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. That is Mike Benavides, assistant head coach, defensive coordinator for your Edmonton Eskimos. And, uh, hey, look, I, we all know what it's like when uh, the defense can't get a stop or uh, they're getting picked apart. Okay, Mike's under fire. He knows it. But it's. Uh, he, I get the sense he is enjoying this process with some young players who have some interesting stories and who are working hard in practice. And Money Hunter is, is getting better. I, I think he is getting better in the secondary. And Mike referenced this, and I know this is hard to hear now, coming off a disappointing loss for Toronto, so you hope it pans out. Maybe someday this experience that Money Hunter is getting now will pay off if they need him later in the season or, or, or down the road. It's, it's tough. And, and, you know, secondary, there's nowhere to hide. If you can't cover a guy one-on-one, you're going to get picked on. And, and Hamilton did that to a couple of Eskimos players. But you can tell that, uh, you know, Mike's figuring out the best way to teach them, to help them learn. And we'll see if they can take some more steps forward on Friday against the Argos. We'll take a quick timeout inside sports on 630 Chat. We've got a text here from Dave Leppard, one of our loyal listeners. He says, how does extra time work in soccer? Is it like sudden death overtime in hockey? And what the heck is injury time? That is uh, Dave Leppard getting acquainted with the beautiful game. Uh, well, as I'm sure most people know, Overtime in soccer, or extra time as they call it, is not sudden death. It is two 15-minute halves. They play no matter what. I believe it was the 2002 World Cup. They had sudden death, as they call it, golden goal. Man, I wish they had that. If there's ever a sport that lends itself to sudden death, I, I would think it would be soccer. There's not a lot of scoring. So if you can get the first goal in overtime... Uh, you know, in my mind, you should win. You shouldn't have to then uh, defend or try to add on to it. Injury time is added on at the end of each half. If, uh, you know, there was a, some sort of a delay or uh, the ref feels, well, this took a little too long, so we got to add on some playing time. We will talk a bit about the France-Croatia showdown with Craig Forrest, former Canadian goalkeeper, one of the best Canadian soccer players of all time. James says... Uh, I know you're smiling, already picking the World Cup winner. It's easy. James goes on to say, I just need to know Stoffer's pick, and I will take the other team. My goodness, James Strolling Bob Stoffer, who will be on the show between 7 and 7.30 tonight. So we will read Bob that text and get his pick for sure. Coming up to the 6.30 news, some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Book the rumpus room for up to 12 of your closest friends and dig in for a family-style picnic. Online, northchickenyeg.com. Go see them in person, 124th Street, 107th Ave. For breaking news and expert opinion, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30, Chad. At that spot there for Ludacris, playing at halftime of the uh, game on Friday between the Eskimos and the Argos. I will now list off all the Ludacris songs I know. Thank you for listening. Kellen? And that's all I know. <laughs> How do... But we... I'm a rock guy. I, I knew I'm, I was uh, uncool. I thought you might be at least slightly <laughs> cooler. 
I'm a rock guy. The the closest thing I got to hip hop was my new metal phase in uh, high school. You know, well, bands hey. like Corn, Limp Biscuit, that type of thing. So. Ludicrous, great. Uh, I'm sure he's uh, extremely popular. Unfortunately, I I don't know any Ludicrous songs. I will be completely. I will not be able to sing along at halftime. I'll be able to sing along to the Eskimos fight song. Ludicrous okay. at halftime. Mm-hmm. Won't be able to. Are you going to the game? Uh, no. no. Are you working the game? Nope. You have the day off. I am. This is my last show for five days, I think. Or is this because of Rocky Mountain uh, Nationals? That's right. Which yep. we will have a guest for that on the show tomorrow night. Right Are you on. working tomorrow night? Uh, I'm off tomorrow. Oh, sorry. Today's your last day. Today's my night. last well, day. Well, you're yeah. going to have to listen tomorrow. I when will we, check uh, it out for sure. Somebody. Yeah. All right. So you can text 63630. This texture says, Reed, you better be careful if you ordered, ordered northern chicken if you go north of Lac La Biche because we call ravens northern chickens. Oh, I did not know that. There you go. A little bit of uh, northern Alberta trivia that they call ravens northern chickens. I can assure you that the chicken at Northern Chicken on 124th Street is actual chicken. So my question to that texture would be, what does raven taste like? <laughs> Sam G text again. Says, uh... I really thought that France was going to win it all unless they were stopped by Belgium once Belgium was able to advance. I thought Brazil was overall a better team, and maybe I'm biased because Brazil's my favorite team, but uh, even if Brazil would have got by Belgium, they would have had a tough time beating the French team. Uh, Sam G saying France really good. They have speed to go along with their skills. I, I would think France would be favored on Sunday. I'll ask Craig Forrest that. He's the soccer analyst from Sportsnet, former goalkeeper for the Canadian national team. He's going to join us later on this half hour. We were talking with Mike Benavides, the head coach of the Edmonton Eskimos, and I asked him about Mark Mackey, who got his first career sack on Saturday against the Argos, drafted by the Eskimos in 2017, uh, attended the last couple of training camps, so 17 and 18, didn't make the team. And then as as things were going on last week, he gets the call and says, uh, we need you in the lineup in Toronto on the weekend. It was a really crazy week for me. I mean, on, on Monday, I was, I was literally sitting on the couch, you know, thinking about life post-football and, you know, what am I going to do? And then on Saturday, I'm getting a sack in front of all my friends and family in Toronto. So it's been, it's crazy how fast life can hit you sometimes. Mackey had 26 family members and friends watching the game at BMO, BMO Field. So in other words, about a quarter of the attendance at BMO Field was there for Mackey. Oh, I couldn't resist. That's nice. Taking a shot at the Toronto football market, such as it is. Hey, I don't know if you heard about this. If you're going to watch the game on TV, you'll hear it. It is a live mic game on Friday. And I have to say this. One of the worst innovations in the history of sports broadcasting. I'm glad they tried it. I, I'm never adverse to something being tried out. And uh, look, the Eskimos didn't handle it very well a couple of years ago when they, they, they you know, they, they got a little uh, upset about it, the game against Montreal, and kind of were like, well, we don't care if everybody else is doing it. We're not going to do it. They didn't, they didn't handle that very well. Uh, but the CFL going with the live mics for a whole bunch more broadcasts this season. Uh, I, it just does not work for me, Kellen. It, I, I, mm. I, when I first heard the idea, I thought this is going to be really cool. This is going to be really cool. There, you know, you'll get to hear some uh, chatter, maybe hear some audibles and play calls, and then right. when you realize once you actually see that live, you know, Tango Utah fifty-four right split. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I still got to see the play to know the, what you're doing. The novelty of it for me wore off in a quarter and a half the first time I seen it. I think it might have been a Calgary-Hamilton game, the very first one they had. Um, you know, I, look, I fully realize I, I could be in the minority here. Maybe I'm in a minority of one. But if if TSN and look TSN has been great for the league from a television standpoint, obviously. But but this I I just don't get the appeal. I think I understand what they're trying to do, but I don't really get it. I mean, it doesn't. You don't get the personalities of the players. You don't. You don't. There's no time to pick up on that. Um, not that I'm bothered by uh, the odd use of profanity, but you're not supposed to broadcast that on a mainstream station. And I don't watch, uh, was it the Winnipeg-Hamilton game they had the the mics for? I Mm. mean, stuff came through quite, well, not quite a bit, but there was definitely stuff that came through where it's like, okay, that was a little awkward. So, I I mean, if I was going to watch something like this, what does that show they do, the, the, the CFL Wired? That's it. Yeah. Where they they have the mics on the sidelines, or maybe players are wearing a mic, and then they they edit that down. And then yep. sometimes you get a little bit of trash talk or insight of players talking about a play with a teammate or a coach while they're not on the field. Yep. I I'd, I'd much sooner see the edited version of that than just hearing the live mics. Thirty but minutes maybe pre-produced. That, maybe that's just me. Exactly. Yep. You got a thirty-minute show pre-produced, packaged for TV, and you. They typically take games from our players from around the league that week and that stuff. And so you get a broader spectrum. And that showcases the personalities, I think, a lot better than a free hour live mic broadcast. Because all you have for free hours essentially is just, you know, teams. Play calls where, and profanity. That's, that's it, what you yeah. Get. <laughs> and teams <laughs> might be. Much get. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the, the Eskimos know. are going to go along with it here. Of course, Jason Moss uh, resisted the live mics uh, back at the beginning, but he's come to terms with it. And they're making us do it four times. I'm not going to change my game plan or the stuff that we do four times this year. So it is what it is. You guys will see the, the TSN, the fans, everybody will see what they're going to see, and we're not going to change anything. I mean, uh, from what I understand, when Mike's on the field, they don't hear me, and then when Mike's off the field, they hear the other team, and then they hear whatever they want to hear from me during the game. So I'm not going to lie to let it affect what we do we'll just do what we do and uh if it becomes an advantage for someone else so be it and we'll if we have to adapt and change and overcome we'll do it uh, i remember moss fined a couple of years ago for not taking part in live mic schemes uh, you'll just hear the live play-by-play with david morley on 6 30 chad 5 30 pregame show friday game at seven all right we'll get back to a little bit of world cup chat the very knowledgeable one of the all-time greats in canadian soccer craig forrest coming up after the break This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Had a text earlier from John who says J.C. Sheriff might be the best linebacker in the league between the tackles, but when he has to move laterally to track a play, he gets exposed and looks very slow. There is a little bit of a scouting report on J.C. Sheriff from John. We'll keep an eye on that on Friday night. Well, looked good for England early goal, but Croatia ties it in the second half, wins it in extra time. They'll play France for the World Cup on Sunday. Craig Forrest, soccer analyst for Sportsnet on the line. Craig, thanks for making time for us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's awesome to have you on the show again. Uh, you know what? I just caught myself there because I was about to say one game remaining in the World Cup. There are two games left. I, I don't. I, I got to say this to you, Craig, and, and you you played the sport. I, I I haven't known a lot of athletes to get up for a third place game, but I guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> I guess they're going to play it anyway. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, one meaningful game left, right? Uh, yeah, the second one, Belgium against England, uh, I would expect, quite honestly, I mean, Kane might play. I mean, Lukaku could chase Golden Boot. He's a couple behind Harry Kane. It looks as though he's got it wrapped up. But other than that, I think both managers would play B teams. It's not... They've got a lot of pressure, a lot of football that they play. they got to go right back to the club teams and start their domestic leagues uh, very shortly. It's very taxing, very uh, demanding. Yeah, for sure. You know, watching that game today, obviously England got got the early goal. Uh, it goes to overtime after Croatia ties it, and uh, Manzucic, uh, sorry, Manzukic gets the winner. Uh, you know, I was watching the replay of the goal, and it was kind of a funny one because he... It, it looked like Croatia had a chance that died down, and it looked like he almost even had his head down, thinking, okay, the play's over, we're going to rest. There was a couple English defenders nearby who I thought their body language looked like, okay, the ball's going to be cleared, and then all of a sudden, bang, it's right there and it goes into the net. What did you see there, Craig? Yeah, that's exactly how I saw it as well. And uh, watching the game and knowing the amount of football that these guys have played um, over a very short period of time, in fact, Croatia have even played more. Ten days, uh, they played Denmark, went to extra time, penalties. Russia did the same, went on penalties and extra time against England. So I thought physically and minds uh, being switched off or tired would probably be more likely to be Croatia. But it was England, and uh, that really was the difference between the two games. I thought Croatia were a better side overall, but just. And uh, Stones, the defender, switched off. Manzukic wasn't particularly switched on, but he reacted quicker and banged in the back of the net, and that was it. But uh, Croatia, Warriors, like just incredible characters. And I was fortunate enough to play with a few of the 98 guys, Slavin Bilic, Dabar Shuker, uh, Igor Stimak from the 98 team, and when they played in league football in West Ham. Um, and not only are they technically very gifted, but the character and uh, the will and uh, the ability to dig so deep and come from behind in matches is just second to none. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that you know, the will Croatia showed to, to fight back. Let me ask you a question here that maybe a little counterintuitive. England scored in, in the fifth minute. Is there, can, can sometimes, can it be a bad thing to score that early? I mean, it shouldn't be, right? Because the first goal, sometimes the winner, but is, is there ever uh, a, a negative impact that it can have on a team? Well, I mean, you can always find one, I guess, but I mean, the bottom line is, I think in 18 attempts in quarterfinals from teams being behind, they had only come back once, so it was really an England's ball game. They had a, had a couple opportunities after that. Harry Kane uh, was in on net to sort of slam it against the post where he came very close, and I always knew it was going to be a tight affair, uh, and set piece is going to be important, and uh, what was going to be the difference? And I think it was really a case of just tired minds and being switched off, and in that particular moment, uh, that could have easily happened to Croatia, but it didn't. And uh, overall, two very good stories of two managers that have managed the tournament very well. I think uh, when you look at Croatia's situation and uh, the firing of the coaches prior to the playoffs against Greece to to make the uh, World Cup, there's a lot of turmoil within the FA of Croatia. Managed to get through that. Southgate for England wasn't the first pick, certainly for a lot of fans, and uh, he did very well and looks a, an established international manager. So a lot of good things come out of the England camp as well. Won a penalty shootout, which they haven't done in a World Cup before. Biggest match win against Panama at 6-1. to one. So both these teams, terrific stories in different ways, and uh, they can hold their heads up high, uh, both of them, or whoever, uh, even if Croatia going to lose the final. 
So France, Croatia coming up. Um, you know, France has, has looked really good. Uh, they've had a couple really exciting games that have been thrilling to watch. A lot of good games in this tournament. But how do you handicap this one? Is is France the the, the, the favorite in your mind, or uh, how, how do you look at what might happen on Sunday? Yeah, I would say France would be strong favorites in my mind at this particular time. I just can't believe, and I talked about the hearts of the Croatians, but it's going to get to them, you would think, eventually. It doesn't seem to, but with the French and their ability and their pace, it just might be one one game too many for Croatia, and uh, France seemed to be getting better and better. And with all the surprises in this tournament, France has looked incredibly good, uh, not brilliant, um, but certainly good, and uh, seem to be getting better in the backbone of their team. Uh, maybe football will be coming home into the Premier League just the Frenchmen from Loris, Conte, Pogba, and Giroud, who all play in the Premier League. Craig Forrest joining us on Inside Sports, analyst for Sportsnet, and of course one of the all-time greats in the history of Canadian soccer. Uh, represented Canada. I think you were up. I think he had 56 caps. Obviously, you referenced you played in the in the Premier League. I, I got to ask you this, Craig, and you referenced some of the games that come down to the penalty kicks and some of the key moments that are decided on on penalty shots. You were a goalkeeper, and I, I, you know, it's one of those things. Whenever there's a penalty shot, people always say, "I'd hate, I'd hate to be the goalie." What is he doing? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you lived it, and people who can remember the the Gold Cup from uh, from 18 years ago know how huge you were with a couple saves there. You've been in that situation. What what's going through your mind? Is it is it the pre scouting? Is it is it is it the moment? Like, take us into a goalie's head, your head, in those penalty kick moments. Well, it is pre-scouting, uh, obviously, uh, to a point. Uh, but when you get into a penalty shootout, there'll be a number of takers that will not have taken too many penalties, don't have any too many. It's pretty hard to get any nuances from them, if you like. Um, there's a bit of a guessing game, a reading game, uh, just seeing so many penalties before and which way they'll go, and also realizing that the pressure is really on the penalty taker and understanding that the pressure is on them as well and in big moments. In training, the percentage of penalties that are scored in training are very high, but you put it under the pressure in that situation, it becomes very difficult, and you use that to your advantage as a goalkeeper. But there is really no pressure. It's one of those very interesting situations I found for a goalkeeper that you're never under pressure because even if you lose, it's bad luck. But if you win, chances are you're a hero, and it's uh, very rare for a goalkeeper to be in that position. So I never minded the penalty shootouts, although you do... Uh, getting nervous from just anticipation of wanting the result to go your way. I love how how you put it. You you have to talk yourself into uh, the advantages that you have, I suppose, as as opposed to the disadvantages you might be at. I love how you put that. Uh, Craig, let's touch on a couple other things here before I let you go, because uh, there was big news a few weeks ago that the World Cup's coming to North America, Canada, Mexico, and the United States in in 2026. I know it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I I would think uh, that all three teams are going to get in as hosts. There's a lot of speculation maybe Edmonton gets to host a Canada game which is another story but I mean you and I have had this conversation before about where are we at why why can't we be more competitive I remember you you gave me a great quote a few years ago where you said you know you can compare Canada to, to Sweden and and Sweden you know has excellent players and an excellent soccer team um, but Canada has still kind of lagged behind and, and Sweden has good golfers and good tennis players I mean what has to happen between now and then for Canada to I'm not saying we're going to be a World Cup favorite in eight years but for us to be a, a respectable host what has to happen between now and then 
Well, obviously, we'll have to identify a certain group of players within a certain age group that will be the ones that will will take us to 2026, whether we have to qualify or not. We'd expect to get an automatic bid, but remember at that stage with 48 teams in a World Cup, that'll be around and a half spots for CONCACAF. If you can't qualify with that many teams out of CONCACAF, you probably don't deserve to be there. But it would be a disaster, obviously, if we're hosts. So I think they'll automatically get in. Um, So identifying a certain group of players and then obviously getting as many games uh, as you possibly can and developing these players. Uh, Problem with Canada is, uh, as opposed to England, when there's 92 professional clubs all having new systems within 10 minutes of each other, you can play a number of clubs within a short drive and it's not expensive and you can play best be best. Um, In Canada, big areas, uh, a lot of traveling involved, and even the academies of Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto in Major League Soccer have a hard time playing against opposition that are going to raise them to a level that they're going to be able to compete on a world stage. So that's been difficult for us. Uh, and for Toronto FC and all the clubs trying to uh, develop players from a club standpoint as well as a national team standpoint. So if there is some money invested in Canada uh, as we developed toward 2026, we'll get opportunities to be able to take a group of young players, whether U17, U18, U20, around the world playing against in the best tournaments, youth tournaments, or best development tournaments, playing international games against the very best, and put ourselves in a position to be competitive. Uh, Korea did it in 2002. They basically shut the league down, went on a road show, played in the Gold Cup in 2000, played in tournaments around the world, and they competed at a very respectable level in 2002. I think we can do the same. Uh, we just need to get on it quickly, and uh, I think there has to be some investment prior to, to, you know, not four years away, but now. One of the stories we've been following here, and, and I'm sure you've been following it as well, is, is the Canadian Premier League, FC Edmonton, which shut down operations for for this season, is going to come back in the fall in the Canadian Premier League. Uh, Tom Fath and the Fath Group have, have invested a lot emotionally and financially uh, in, into keeping that organization going. Is the Canadian Premier League going to help, or, or do you think it's ultimately not going to be at the level we need to to get the Canadian players the experience that they need? No, that's a very good question, and I think it it will help. Absolutely. Look at the old Canadian League when the North American League uh, folded. Uh, we had the Canadian League that uh, North York Rockets, Anchor Whitecaps. And, you know, that, that league wasn't the very best, but players had somewhere to play on a regular basis. So in the early 90s, and around 90, 94 qualifying, um, probably the best team that Canada has ever had at that point. So, And I think a lot of that came into play because of the players playing in the Canadian League. So it will help massively and certainly filter players out, the ones are going to be ones that can contend at the level of national team levels and the ones that can't, but it gives them a, a stepping stone in the right direction, absolutely. All right, one one more quick one. i got to squeeze one more in. Uh, you know, I mentioned your, your uh, fifth, I quickly looked up, 56 caps with uh, Canada, 1994. You guys just missed out on qualifying, but uh, Edmonton still... When you hear Edmonton Commonwealth Stadium, that draw against Brazil, I mean, I know it was a while ago, but I don't know if you get tired of talking about it. It's still something that uh, gives you yeah. the tingles a bit. <laughs> yes, it does, absolutely. No, I never get tired of talking about that particular match in Edmonton. It was one of the only times in, as a national team player that we played a game that was 
pro-Canadian. We were usually the away team, even at home. Didn't matter whether we were playing Scotland, Poland, Trinidad and Tobago, Jamaica, El Salvador, Honduras, the list went on and on. Uh, we know how important home field advantage is. Well, that draw in Edmonton was certainly a highlight. Uh, they've always supported us really, really well at Edmonton. We love spending time there. And that was a special moment because it was only about a month after Brazil obviously won the World Cup uh, in the United States. Craig, it's always great to have you on the show. I know you're busy with all the World Cup coverage and chat that you're doing, so thanks for fitting us in here on 6.30 Chat. I hope we talk again soon, man. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you. Good stuff. That is Craig Forrest checking in tonight and uh, fond memories of this city 24 years ago. 24 years ago, 1-1, Canada and uh, Brazil. But we'll talk a little bit about that. Like our, our most famous... now. Men's soccer is different from the women's team. The women's team has been excellent. Uh, but in terms of men's soccer, our our most famous result, well, we did win the Gold Cup. Did win the Gold Cup in 2000 with Craig as the backbone of that team. But I, I guess one of our two most famous men's soccer results is a draw in an exhibition game. It was a friendly, right? There's still a long way to go, and we've been saying that for a while. 7 o'clock news, Stoffer's going to pop in, and uh, we'll go to uh, the vice president of the Edmonton Croatia Soccer Club. I bet you that's a happy place tonight. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.